Good afternoon, Memorial Baptist friends and family, and welcome to our midweek edition of our podcast for November 11th, 2020. Man, we're enjoying a beautiful sunny afternoon here in Central Texas. By the way, there are only six more weekends until Christmas, and I just wanted to say Happy Veterans Day to you, and to our cherished veterans, we salute you and we give you our thanks uh, to the many people who have served and are, and are currently serving our country in every branch of the military. Um, the sacrifices you and your families have made in the service for our country is enormous, and we thank you for that. All of us at Memorial thank you so much for your service. Now, Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So thank you, veteran. Today we salute you and we say thank you. And we will continue to work to create special opportunities for you to enjoy worship, fellowship, spiritual growth, and experience kingdom mission through the body of Christ at Memorial. You know, last Sunday we reopened our Sunday school uh, by adding our children's Explore the Bible Hour, our youth Bible study, as well as young and median adult classes uh, to our Sunday morning Bible study offerings. In addition to these, our senior adult Sunday morning Bible study is currently meeting in the fellowship hall each Sunday morning. And all of these classes begin at 9.30 a.m. and they go till 10.30 a.m., uh, followed by our morning worship at 10.45 so uh, join us for Sunday school. Come out, enjoy Bible study. Um, we have a class for, for each age. So please come, bring your family. And, um, you know, if you're not able to worship with us in person, I'm going to invite you to please check out our new and improved live stream uh, that is being streamed on our MBC, M as in Memorial, Baptist Church, NBC Temple YouTube channel. Um, it's also pre- premiering at 10.45 a.m. on Sunday mornings. This is a live feed, so you can actually watch our service as it's happening. It's going on. Uh, it's premiering at that time. You know, Braden Tanner and Jeff Watts, along with their uh, audiovisual and sound crew, have done an amazing job of greatly enhancing our online capabilities uh, during this season when everything that we have known was adversely affected by this pandemic. Um, We will all be happy to see COVID-19's rampage diminished, Uh, but they've done a great job. So tune in, uh, NBC Temple, uh, YouTube channel at 1045 on Sundays. Don't forget also we have uh, Operation Christmas Child, Shoe boxes are due back this Sunday, November 15th. Um, please bring your filled shoe box back to the church with the $9 postage so that we can turn them in for shipment and delivery. I just want to thank each one of you uh, who filled a shoe box for a child. May God bless you uh, for being such a blessing to these children. You know, we are currently also receiving deacon nominations for deacon candidates. Uh, If you have someone that you would like to nominate 
Uh, Please pick up a nomination form either in the church office or on the table by the entrance to the worship center. And fill it out and then turn it back into the church office by November 29th. Uh, Nomination forms can also be put in the collection box on Sundays uh, that's located out in the Great Hall. These are exciting days. And, um, you know, uh, we need to be in prayer uh, for our government, uh, for those who will be leading us. uh, Whoever the president is, we need to be praying for them and praying that God's will would be done in in them and in their cabinet. And, uh, you know, there's a a whole lot that uh, we have to be thankful for. And so uh, continue to lift up uh, our our nation, and uh, we want to see God do an amazing work in and through uh, our our country. Before we get into our scripture today in Hebrews chapter eleven, uh, I would like for us to pray together, and, and I would like to pray. Uh, I would like for you to pray with me as I lead in prayer. But uh, let's just begin uh, by praying and lifting up uh, our church. Loving Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the ministries of Memorial Baptist Church. I thank you, God, that that, uh, we belong to you, and I thank you that we can trust you, uh, that you are sovereign, that you are in control of all uh, that's going on in our world, and um, I thank you for guiding our ministries to, um, to be able to minister to people who are hurting, to people who need the gospel, uh, to people who are hungry, to people who are um, uh, having uh, just distresses from hurricanes and other such things. <coughs> Excuse me. But I know that, God, you are at work uh, in our staff. I see them growing each and every day in their ministry and in their um, spiritual development with you, Father, uh, in their obedience to you. And so I just lift up our staff to you. I thank you for each one of them. What a wonderful team you've given me to work with. And I'm just very thankful, Father, for what you're doing in each of their lives. Father, I lift up our our ministry budget uh, for this next year. Um, Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we need your help, Father. We need need your provision. We we, we plan in faith, uh, knowing that you are a great God, a mighty God, that you care very deeply for us. But we also recognize that apart from you, we can't make it happen. We can't do it. So we need your help. But thank you, Father, for how you provide and how you have taken care of us this year. Even in the midst of this pandemic, you have taken care of every need that we've had. So thank you, Father, for loving us. Lord, I want to lift up our neighbors to you. Um, I pray for the souls of men and women I ask that you would draw them to yourself. I pray for um, the neighbors that live right around my house, um, for for Garrett and Courtney and Jason and Sylvia and JC and Samantha. And I pray, Father, that you would draw them to you, that you would uh, save their souls, Father, for all eternity. And I ask God that you would do that by your power, by your Holy Spirit. Father, I know that It is your will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I pray according to your will, Father, that you would draw these to you. Um, Lord, I ask that you would be with each of our our homebound. 
Um, I know, Father, that during this time, it's, it's got to be terribly lonely. And I pray that you would just bless them. And, and Father, that you would just guide them through this time. I'm asking also for comfort, Father, for those who are hurting, uh, for those who are grieving. I pray your comfort. I ask, Father, that you would just comfort their souls. God, give them peace. Father, for those who are ill, I pray for healing. I pray for renewal, restoration. I pray, Father, for those who are struggling emotionally. I ask that you would just uh, be the comforter for them. And also, Father, for those who are in spiritual darkness, that you would be light. Uh, God, we know that, that you are the God who saves. And so I just ask, Father, that you would do that for your glory for your honor. Lord Jesus, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for loving us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue uh, to give us, each one of us, a full knowledge of your will, uh, that we would know exactly what you want us to do and to say uh, at those appointments that you set. Father, thank you for loving us. I pray that you would guide us today. Thank you for all of the answered prayer that, that you've answered for us. And I pray, Father, that you would just continue to show yourself mighty in this land, in our church, in our homes, and in our lives. We love you, Father. We thank you for being our God. There's none like you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to dive right in here to um, Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be in verses 23 through 26, and um, uh, kind of going a little deep here, but it'll be good. And, um, you know, it. it uh, let me just read this. Uh, these few verses. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So, we're going to dive into this and talk some about uh, Moses and his parents and growing up and different things here. You know, um, I would ask the question, who are Amram and Jochebed? Amram and Jochebed. Amram. You say, I've never heard of them. They may be obscure people to you and to me, but they are precious saints in the sight of God. For he thought enough of them to put them in the Believer's Hall of Fame. Amram and Jochebed were the, the parents of Moses. And so far in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, all the saints mentioned are well-known characters. Uh, Abel, Enoch, um, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But Amram and Jochebed, they're unfamiliar names, yet they exercised great faith in God. And God thought their faith so significant that he recorded it in Holy Scripture. Amram and Jochebed, 
They were common folks, but they were mightily used of God to accomplish his purposes. They are an example of persevering faith in God, which gives one great courage and causes him to do what he would not normally do. See, persevering faith is courageous in suffering. It's courageous in hardships and tribulations so that one accomplishes things that seem humanly impossible. This verse says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, Hebrews 11 takes us back to Exodus chapters 1 and 2 uh, for the historical incident. We have the cruelty of Pharaoh. We talk about it in Exodus, uh, we read about it in Exodus 1, uh, verse 6 and, and following. It says, and, and Joseph died. You remember Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Under Joseph, who was the prime minister of Egypt, the Israelites prospered materially and numerically, so much so that they became an influential source in the culture of Egypt. But then it goes on to say, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. A new dynasty of pharaohs came to power, probably a foreigner who had conquered Egypt, and he was not favorable towards the Israelites because he didn't know Joseph. They went from free men to slaves in a matter matter of a few years. See, nations rise and fall like the sun in God's sovereign purpose And this in turn affects humanity's circumstances. One day we may be experiencing great freedom and blessing. And the next day, find ourselves slaves. You know, in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 21, it says, He removes kings and establishes kings. Isaiah 40, verse 15 and 17 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are regarded by Him as less than nothing and meaningless. It says there in in Exodus, And He said to the people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and in the event of war they also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. What it's saying is the more that Pharaoh displayed cruelty and afflicted the children of Israel, the more they multiplied and grew. See, God's plan cannot be frustrated by men, by men, not even by kings. 
not even by Pharaoh's. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. Psalm 33 Verse 10 and 11 says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. So going on, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Pharaoh's cruelty was climaxed in that he made a proclamation that all of the male infants born into Israelite homes were to be drowned. It was during this time that Moses was born and his young life was threatened with extinction by a tyrannical, cruel ruler. But notice the courage of Moses' parents. In Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. So when Israel was groveling in slavery in Egypt, just two ordinary common people got married. They were Amram and Jochebed, who gave birth to Moses. And the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. So Moses and Aaron were brothers, and, and, and Miriam was their sister. It says, And the woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw that he was beautiful, and she hid him for three months. From the account in Exodus, we might conclude that only Jochebed, was, as, as Moses' mother, exercised faith and hid Moses for three months so that he would not be killed. But Hebrews tells us clearly that both parents were involved in this great act of faith. At great cost to their own safety and their very lives at risk, at stake. Amram and Jochebed, they refused to obey the Pharaoh's command and they hid the child Moses. By faith, these parents displayed great courage and boldness, which enabled them to overcome the fear of Pharaoh, of man, even when it meant the certain death of their son and themselves. See, we learn from these parents that real faith operates (laughs) in spite of adversity. We're told in Exodus and in Hebrews that the baby Moses was beautiful. And in Acts 7.20, it says that the child was lovely. Now that's when Stephen was given his defense right before they stoned him to death. Was it Moses' beauty that caused the parents to hide him? Oh no, no. It was their faith in the living God that caused them to do this mighty act. Amram and Jochebed were true believers and knew of God's promises and predictions that Israel would be delivered out of Egypt. You remember in Genesis 15, verse 13 and 14, it says, And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, 
where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nations whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. Genesis 50 verse 24 says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Folks, they believed that the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob concerning the promised land would come to pass. And while the record does not state specifically, it could well be that Amram and Jochebed were given a direct revelation from God that Moses had a special destiny among the people of God. Whatever the means, Moses' parents knew that Moses was lovely unto God and that he had a special place in God's program. And the point of significance is that it was not primarily because of his external beauty or their natural affections toward Moses that his parents hid him, but it was because of their faith. They believed God. They trusted God for a humanly impossible situation, and God supernaturally took care of the situation. (laughs) That's my God. That's my king. Notice carefully that Amram and Jochebed exercised faith and acted because true faith, here we go, always acts. True faith always acts. Faith is not sitting around twiddling our thumbs waiting for something to happen. In fact, that kind of concept of faith is fatalism. You see, faith works, faith acts, and faith is doing something now. For faith is acting upon the promises of God now. You know, in in Exodus it says, But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch, and then she put the child in it and set it out among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And we're not told why the parents could no longer hide the baby Moses, but perhaps his crying became too loud or uh, some, you know, person was about to report the child to the authorities. We don't know. Um, It took great faith for Jochebed to put her child in the little ark in the high grass at the bank of the river She was believing God, but she also probably knew that Pharaoh's daughter came regularly to that area to bathe, and she was believing God for a supernatural intervention, even though humanly it seemed as though Moses would be put to death. And his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. This is a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and human responsibility working side by side. Jochebed was expecting a supernatural intervention, but she sent Miriam, Moses' sister, to see how it would all turn out and perhaps do something about the situation. It says in, in Exodus 2, 5 and following, it says, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. 
And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Humanly speaking, Pharaoh's daughter should have thrown Moses in the Nile because the king had commanded this. But God has control over the hearts of royalty and can change even their thinking. Proverbs 21.1 says the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. <laughs> I love that. That gives me great hope in this time of, of our, our country and, and our nation. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. See, God alone can soften an unbeliever's heart. Going on, it says, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. God, because he is all-powerful, He overrules even the edicts of kings and makes a mockery of the wisdom of the world. Pharaoh meant to kill Moses, but God in turn had Pharaoh pay for the upbringing of Moses by his parents. (laughs) See, God's ways are not our ways, and we must trust him to do the impossible, for God is a supernatural working God. Have you ever asked yourself, where did Moses get his information about God? Where did he get his information about God's covenants and and God's people Israel? He undoubtedly received most of it from Amram and Jochebed. The Bible does not tell us how long the boy Moses and his mother were together. The important thing is that to note is that the parents of Moses, especially his mother, were together with him long enough so that she could communicate her faith to him. She undoubtedly told him about the true God and about the chosen people of Israel and the circumstances surrounding his own birth. I can imagine that she repeated over and over again to Moses how God had been faithful in delivering him from certain death at the hands of Pharaoh. So as Moses grew older, he was trained in the best secular schools in in Egypt. And most of what he learned was contrary to what his parents had taught him. Often, probably, Amram's and Jacobed's hearts ached with concern and fear that Moses would reject his early training. But he did not because God, in his sovereignty, opened Moses' heart and he attended to the things his parents taught him. I'm confident that Amram and Jochebed never stopped praying for Moses because their confidence was in their covenant-keeping God who could do the humanly impossible. Apparently, Moses did not come out loud and clear for God until his late 20s or maybe even early 30s. Perhaps he was struggling through all of his secular training. 
You know, in the book of Acts, during Stephen's defense, Acts chapter 7, verse 22 says, And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Going back to verse 24 in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. See, Moses, when he was 40 years old, turned away from being royalty in Pharaoh's court to serve the one true and living God. Moses could have been one of the leading men of all of Egypt and a possible candidate to the throne of Egypt to become a Pharaoh. By faith, however, Moses rejected personal prestige He rejected splendor and human glory because he came to understand that the only thing in life worth living for is a commitment and service to Almighty God. Moses had to turn from prestige in order to follow God. He had to turn his back on all that Egypt had to offer. And we today must turn away from prestige and position in order to serve Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 32, He said, Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. See, Moses had to turn away from his stepmother, Pharaoh's daughter, to follow Christ. Surely, surely Moses had great love for his stepmother by adoption, but he could not serve God without leaving all in Egypt. He had to leave it behind. In Matthew 10, Jesus followed that up by saying, Do not think that I come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Prestige, position, and glory may be ours in God's providence. But these things must not obsess our thinking. Is our love for God greater than our commitment to men, to others? God will not allow anything to be first above Him in a believer's heart. God must and will have first place in every believer's heart. I love this because in Hebrews 11, verse 25, it says, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. See, Moses had to make a deliberate, purposeful choice to follow the one true and living God. By faith, he made a determined act of his will to turn away from sin and toward God. This was not an impetuous decision of a youth, but came from an educated and wise man 
of 40. See, Moses, a man of royalty, chose to identify himself with the people of God. The Israelites at this point in time were poor. They were enslaved people who were despised by the Egyptians. The Israelites were the scum of the earth in Egypt. But Moses knew that to identify himself with God was to identify himself with the people of God. It took great humility for Moses to cast his lot with this ragged and torn mob of slaves, this people who were oppressed. He was willing to make any and every sacrifice for God's people because God had put such a great love in his heart for them. Why did Moses make this sacrifice? Why would he do that? Because he believed God's promise that Israel would be delivered out of Egypt. By faith, he made great sacrifices to lead the people of God because people matter more than things. See, Moses turned from wealth to serve God, and so we must do the same if we are to be effective for God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. If in God's providence He gives you wealth, praise God for it and use it for His glory. But God will never allow you to put your wealth above Him. Are you sharing your wealth out of great concern for others? Key question. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes this. He said, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Are you willing to identify yourself with the people of God, with all the people of God? Are you a very sophisticated Christian who doesn't want to fellowship with other Christians who are in another social class or even in another race? Are you willing to sacrifice for the people of God? Have the love of money and worldly pursuits kept you from being concerned about the needs of God's people? See, we all must choose between sin and holiness, between the world and Christ and between fellowship with the children of God and fellowship with the children of the devil. Verse 26 says, Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he was looking to the reward. The word Christ in the Greek is equivalent to Messiah. And Moses not only committed to God and he was not only committed to God and God's people, but also to the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. When he turned from Egypt, the world, he turned to the messianic program of the Jews and looked forward to the Messiah 
and, 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 and when the Messiah would come. It is more important to suffer for Christ and with His people than to have all the riches of the world. Why? For He was looking to the reward. The fleeting treasures of Egypt would not capture Moses' affection for he, he looked forward to an eternal inheritance. At the end of his persevering faith was the reward of eternal life, of heaven, of the new Jerusalem, the city of God. Only as one uses the power of the world to come can he put down the power of this present world. So let me give you just quickly a couple of applications for Christians. See, it comes down to courage and confidence. God takes plain, common, ordinary folks to get His plans and purposes accomplished. When we exercise persevering faith, we become bold and courageous in spite of our weaknesses, and God uses us for His own glory. Most of us will never be intellectual scholars and theological giants, although we should be constantly seeking to gain more understanding of Scripture. But we can all be great men and women of faith. We may not be fully educated. We may not be recognized leaders in the church, but we can all have an intensely meaningful and practical faith. We may not all be able to explain every problem passage in the Bible, but we can be faithful to God, committed to the Lord, and in love with the Savior. There also must be a concern. As people of practical, living faith in Christ, we must have a concern for others. This is especially true of Christian parents for their children. What kind of faith are we passing on to our children? What kind of concept of God are our children picking up from us? Do our children see the reality of Jesus Christ in us? Proverbs 22.6, that often quoted verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, this training not only includes teaching our children the Bible and the catechism, but the words train up have three other connotations. Number one, dedicate. We must dedicate our children to God and trust God to work a work of grace in their hearts to save them. Secondly, discipline. We must trust our children. We must, excuse me, we must teach our children to have a submissive spirit For if they do not submit to human authority, they will most likely never submit to God's authority. Let me say that again. We must teach our children to have a submissive spirit, for if they do not submit to human authority, they most likely will never submit to God's authority. Thirdly, I would say desire. We must create a desire, a hunger, and a thirst in a child for spiritual things. How do we do this? How do we create that thirst and hunger for spiritual things? By having a life of faith and dependence on the living God and allowing Christ to radiate from our lives. Is your Christian life attractive to your children? 
do they know you have something they don't have? Do they know that Christ makes you a real person with concern? See, Proverbs 22.6 does not guarantee the salvation of our children. In fact, there is not one verse in the whole Bible that guarantees that our children will be saved. But there are many verses that speak of our human responsibility to raise our children. And if we do these things, we are more likely to see God work sovereign grace in our children. I have thoroughly enjoyed this passage. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to continue our study next week in Hebrews 11. So until then, I hope that you will stay safe and enjoy God's creation. Our God is an awesome God, and He's worthy of our praise. I hope to see you soon. This is Ridge Adams from Memorial Baptist Church in Temple, Texas. And may God bless you as you continue to seek His face.